If the God of the universe looked you right in the eye and said, what do you want, what would you say? That was the question I asked on Facebook this week. About 100 people replied to it. And the answers broke down into about three different categories. First, the large majority were very spiritual answers, very spiritually sounding answers, kind of of two types. Uh, One of them was, I just want you, Jesus, or I just want to be with you, right? That was one type. Um, The other one was like, I want my friends and family to know you. And those are great answers, and I am in no way, I'm I'm not knocking that at all, because that's kind of how I would answer, right? I think in that moment, um, my son-in-law was like, I'm not sure I could speak, Um, you know, like, like, and those are great. Those are good answers. I'm not knocking it, but it is kind of the Christian answer to that question. Secondly, there were no small number of requests for physical healing or, or, or uh, for mental health. Like, I'm, I'm struggling with depression or I, I'm, I'm sad all the time. And um, there were a lot of those. And then third is what I'd call the outliers. One of my friends from high school, who I'm pretty sure is, is not a Christian and probably not even a theist, uh, doesn't even believe in God, the way he, he quoted South Park. I didn't know. I had to look it up. I was like, what in the world? Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, and it had something to do with a Loch Ness monster. I think he was trying to imply that God's imaginary. I don't know, right? And others were, were there were a few other different ones. One friend from seminary an- answered the question um, by saying, that's a probing question, Casey. And it was everything in me not to reply, well, it comes from Jesus, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it does, we're going to talk about it. Open your Bibles to John 1, 35. Thanks for being with us today. Grateful for those of you here in the room and those watching online. Uh, thanks for logging in. We're, we're going to begin a new sermon series today entitled, The Calling. Um, last summer, as I was planning this year's messages, uh, I really felt, I was dis- discerned what God was doing in my heart and really felt like he was urging me to preach through the Gospel of John uh, as we get ready for Easter. And I was like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, it's really awesome when God, you know, is that clear with you. Um, but I also knew that what was in my heart was to spend some time talking about how Jesus teaches and trains the 12 apostles. Like I wanted to look, like let's really drill into how Jesus teaches and trains them. And I'm going, yeah, but most of that material, the teaching and training of the 12, Jesus calling the 12 to follow him and teaching them and then sending them back out, like to, you know, change the world. Most of that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I was praying about that. And I said, God, I, I can tell that you want me to preach from John, but most of the material that I feel like, like that concept that you put in my heart, that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And God is so good. And he's like, are you sure? <laughs> Read it again. So I did. I blocked a couple hours off one afternoon and I sat down and I read John's gospel in its entirety straight through, stop to finish. Start to finish, rather, excuse me. I can't tell you what an incredible blessing that was. And if you've never done that before in your life, do it this week. It'll take you a couple hours. Take a couple hours block off some time and sit down and just read a gospel in its entirety, beginning to end. (laughs) And by the end of it, I'm weeping, A, because of the story of redemption in John, but also because God is so good and he's like, 
yeah, there's a lot more there than you remembered. Oh, yeah. So we're beginning this sermon series called The Calling, right? Uh, and, and there's so much here that we're only going to get through half of the gospel before Easter rolls around. Uh, we'll come back and catch other parts of it later. But it, this, it's, it's incredible, right? Until Easter, we're really going to press into this idea uh, of the, the teaching of a disciple who was so close to Jesus, he's called the disciple Jesus loved. How would you like that to be your nickname? That's cool. That's, he was close to Jesus, right? And if we want to know how to follow Jesus, it would be a good idea to listen to the first few people who did that. And John was one of the first two. We're going to look at his story today. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Jesus rewards the curiosity of his disciples with his presence so they can help him save the world. Jesus rewards the curiosity of his disciples with his presence so they can help him save the world. I want to show you this in the text. Um, what we're going to do today is just kind of work, through, work our way through it. Uh, my dad's Bible college professor, preacher, he talks about uh, you know, we're just going to turn over every rock and jiggle every handle. <laughs> and we're just, so we're, I'm just going to teach the text today. We're just going to work our way through. And as we do, I want you to pay special attention. I'll call this out, but I want you to pay attention to all the sight language in the text. Look with me at John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, John was there. And so there are two Johns that we need to clarify, right? There's John the Baptist. That's who this John is. There's John the Baptist, and then there's John the Apostle, the author of this letter. So we have John the Baptist, John the Apostle. They're just both oftentimes called, well, in this, it's, it's always John the Baptist. I thought about calling him John A and John B to clarify. <laughs> Seemed a little disrespectful. So we'll use the whole title, okay? Uh, but um, so this is John the Baptist. John was there again with two of his disciples, now, it's hard to know the timing on this for sure. John kind of plays with time differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We don't know exactly when this happened. Um, best I can tell, this event occurs in between Jesus' baptism and temptation and testing in the wilderness for 40 days and nights, right? He's out there, no food, no water. Satan comes to him, tempts him. That happens. He's, he's coming back off of that, and this happens. So this is after the, the, his baptism by John. He goes off into the wilderness, comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Gospels tell us, but before he goes back to Galilee to continue his early ministry. This happens in between it. John doesn't say this. I'm just trying to put the pieces together from reading the other Gospels, okay? Um, so Jesus is walking back by the next day. So John's already seen him because in the day, the day prior, he goes, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he says on the day prior. So Jesus is still in the area. He comes walking back by. John says it again, John the Baptist. He says, look, the Lamb of God. All right? And that, that phrase, the Lamb of God, must have absolutely just like rung like a bell in the ears of his Jewish disciples. And I'll, I'll tell you why here in a little while. But whoa, Lamb of God. And so they just kind of peel off and they go after Jesus. Look at verse 37. All right. When the two disciples heard this, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Let's pause right there. There's another word for seeing in the text. It's different from the word in verse 36. The word in verse 36 is the normal word for sight. You know, it's just it's, it's one of the two main words. 
this one where Jesus sees them, all right, is, it implies um, continuity of focus. It implies strong attention, right? Often with the implication that what you're observing is something different or unusual. And there's this really interesting, at least to Bible nerds like me, there's this really interesting linguistic interplay between the disciples looking for and looking at Jesus and Jesus looking back at them. In fact, this mutual curiosity is more than just implied. It is flatly stated. They're looking for him. He's looking for them. And there's something really interesting here. John uses a grammatical form. Um, it, 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 it doesn't appear a whole lot, but it probably indicates that Jesus seeing of them. It says Jesus saw them. And the, the, the form of the grammar that he uses indicates that probably happens at the exact same time of his turning around. So what he's doing grammatically is he's trying to draw your attention. And here's what I think, here's the picture that I think John is trying to communicate. It's like Jesus is walking and they're walking behind him and he just spins on his heel and locks eyes with them. Just boom, and he's just locked in. And he says, what do you want? Literally, what are you seeking is is the literal definition of the word. It's kind of like when you go into, this doesn't happen at Walmart, um, but when you go into a smaller business to buy something and the salesperson says, can I help you find something? It's the nice way to ask this question. What, what do you want? You know, Because that sounds rude to us in America these days. Jesus is using it. This happened one time. Debbie, I don't know if you remember this. We were, we were at McDonald's, Dirksen Parkway in Springfield, Illinois. And we went to McDonald's and we pulled up to the line and the person on the, in the box goes, what do you want? Well, I want Chick-fil-A because they're polite, but it's Sunday. Um, <laughs> I got a cheeseburger. Anyway, the, what do you want? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? Look at how they answer. They said, Rabbi, literally means my great one, but it came to be known as, as, a, as a term of respect for a teacher. Where are you staying? <laughs> Their question's really interesting. It, it does not seem to be a logical next step to what he said. It really, like we read this and we go, well, that's weird, man. What is that? A couple things you should know. First of all, it actually is a logical question because of the, the rules and practices of ancient Middle Eastern hospitality. You always inquire about to someone, where are you staying? This is, this is normal. What they asked was a perfectly rational, normal question. There's more to it there, I think, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. We'll come back to that. So they say, where are you staying? Look at verse 39. Come, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, some of you are like, how in the world did they spend the day with him if it's four in the afternoon when they start? All right? So a couple things. This is, happens in the Middle East. Sunrise and sunset, pretty consistent. About 6 a.m., sun comes up. About 6 p.m., sun goes down. That doesn't change much through the year. Close enough to the equator that that's pretty constant, Okay? So it's four in the afternoon. You're like, how in the world could they spend the day with him if it's that late, if it's going to be dark in two hours? Go back to Genesis. How does God count time? There was evening, there was morning, 
the first day. Right? So in, in a Jewish understanding of the world is night, when does Sabbath start? Sundown on Friday. Right? So it's, they're camping out with Jesus. They, they hang with him around the fire that night and they talk. That's, what's go, that's the picture that you're supposed to see. And I love this. Jesus says, come and see. It's such a beautiful approach to discipleship. Again, you know, John uses another word for seeing. It's a different word, kind of the other main New Testament word for seeing. But this one is related to the word for knowing. That Jesus is inviting them into experiential knowledge. It's come and see, but it's come hang out with me. Let's, let's, let's be together. Right? He's indulging. He's stoking their curiosity. Look at verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, John the Baptist, and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is Christ. We hear about Andrew for the first time here. Every single time John mentions Andrew, he's in, in his gospel, John the Apostle, he's bringing somebody to Jesus, right? You see that in, in verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus. Like, every single time Andrew is mentioned, he's bringing someone to Jesus. In fact, this has caused, in some churches, there's the things called Andrew Societies, and, and, and there, you've heard the Stephen ministry, it's kind of focused on pastoral care. The Andrew Societies are focused on evangelism. How do we bring people to Jesus? That's, that was Andrew's, he's just constantly doing this. So we know the identity of one, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And Simon Peter was so well known by the time this gospel was written that he's, he's mentioned in the story before he's introduced. Like we, don't, we haven't heard Peter say or do anything yet, okay? Um, and he won't, he's in this story, but he won't even speak. So we know about him. Who's the other guy? Well, just as another disciple, most scholars and me, <laughs> think it's John. I don't know for sure. Um, probably it's John. He's, he's telling the story. John hides behind ambiguities. He doesn't want you to know that he was such an integral part of this. So he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved without using his own name. Another disciple here. It's probably him. Paul does this in 2 Corinthians. He says, I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven and saw inexpressible things, things man is not permitted to tell, right? Well, it happened, we think it happened to him, but he doesn't want to be the center of attention. And I will confess to you that I have done that. I have followed their example. I hope you're cool with me following the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul's examples. I have told you stories that happened to me as if they've happened to somebody else. Because I don't want you looking at me. I want you looking at him. So sometimes, not every time, this is not every time, you can't know, it's my secret, you'll never know. <laughs> but sometimes if you've heard me start a story with, I know a guy, it actually was me. Thanks Socrates, I do know myself. And, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, that's, I think that's what John is doing here. He's the other disciple, Right? In his humility, he kind of hides behind these descriptors. So look at verse 42. Let's, let's wrap this up. So he says, and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, that's Peter, and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, literally rocky. The word kepha is rock in, in, in Hebrew, in Aramaic, excuse me. Um, the, the Greek word Petra, which is the 80s, Rock, Christian rock band Petra. That's where they get their name. 
right? It, 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 when translated, means Peter. But it's like in our, we would call it Rocky. It's like, it's a nickname. Jesus didn't change his name. He added one. He gave him a nickname. And, and John points out how Jesus looked at Peter. Again, there's more seeing language. One of the major themes for John is Jesus' insight into people's character. He has this profound insight into who Peter is. So how do we apply this passage? This event was a one-time event in human history. This is not going to happen to you. So how are you going to apply this? I think there are two applications. John, as, as a gospel writer, is very fond of duality. He, he thinks in terms of twos. Think about if you're familiar with John's gospel, light and dark, right? Life and death. John's really into that. Um, I think it's just a lifetime. He writes this probably 85, 90 AD, not real sure, right? It, it, he's been thinking about this for a long time. And so I think there are two ways that John would have us respond, a vertical way and a horizontal way, okay? So let, let's talk about the vertical application here. The vertical application is that we should respond to Jesus' curiosity. We should respond to Jesus' curiosity. I want you to think about the flow of the text, John the Baptist points to Jesus, he calls him the Lamb of God, and immediately two of John the Baptist's disciples peel off and go after Jesus. These guys are from Galilee. What are they doing in Judea? Because the place where the traditional site where John was baptizing, the most likely place is, is, is just a little ways east of Jericho. It's not very far away. I mean, it's a good long walk if you're walking, but in an air-conditioned tour bus with Wi-Fi, it's about 20 minutes. That's, that's, you know, that's how I know. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it, this, is, this is not even close to Galilee. This is days of walking away. What are they doing there? They're curious. They've heard about this John the Baptist guy, right? Like, they're up in Galilee fishing on the lake. And, and have you heard about this, this, this new guy down in Judea? Well, no, what are you talking about? Oh, man, it's like he's like a prophet, man. He's preaching. He's letting everybody have it. The Romans, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, everybody is, I mean, he's an equal opportunity offender, man. He's like Elijah. This is awesome. Really? Yeah, he's wearing clothes made out of camel hair and he's eating bugs. This guy's hardcore. Oh, wow. And so they decide to make a trip. Let's go check it out. So they leave Galilee. They go down. And they're listening to John preach. And Jesus walks by, right, coming off of probably, I think, his time of testing in the wilderness. John says, there's, there's the Lamb of God. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's pointing to that guy. We should go follow that guy. And they do. Right? And they catch up to Jesus, and he asks a very significant and probing question. What do you want? Andrew and John's answering question was politely vague as dictated by the normal practices and rules of ancient Middle Eastern hospitality. Jesus knew what they wanted. Even without the benefit of divine omniscience, Jesus knew what they wanted. They wanted to get to know him. But for them to ask that would have been to overstep the bounds of propriety, right? So they politely asked him where he was staying. That's the normal, socially appropriate thing to do. But here's where this gets deeper. Why did they ask the question? Yes, they were being polite, right? But I, as I reflected on it, I think there's more to it than that. I had never really considered the geographic context of the question until recently. I want to show you a picture. This is the parking lot 
of the traditional site of baptism, this is where the tour buses park. I took this picture in 2016 on my first trip to Israel. And I remember we were coming up from the place, and the area around the traditional site where John baptized, where Jesus was probably baptized, is lush, and it's green, and it's cool, and about 38 steps from that spot, it is this. It is dry, it is barren, it is harsh. And we're walking up from the place of baptism, and as I mentioned before, my dad is a a preacher and a Bible college professor, and I'm walking next to him, and he goes, Case, have you ever thought about Jesus still dripping wet from the baptistry and walking into that? I was like, no, but I am now. Oh, my word. Jesus, he comes from this. This is the area where these guys are catching up to Jesus as he walks through the wilderness. This looks like Utah, y'all. And they ask this question, where are you staying Why? Because there's nowhere to stay. I don't see a Motel 6. There wasn't even a Motel 1. Like, there's nothing. So Jesus, what's what's the one thing he could do to stoke their curiosity better than anything else? Come see. Oh, I'm in now. What do I gotta do? Cool. Right? He invites them to to spend time with him he's drawing them in he's making them lean into his curiosity about them see sometimes i think that we're afraid to approach god for for a multitude of reasons but what we seem to continually forget is that god wants us to pursue a relationship with him he wants us to get to know him on a deeper level and we're too worried like i'm not i don't know i don't want to bug god dude he's infinite you're not bothering him He's got time for you. In fact, not only, not only does he have time for you, he is inviting you in. He is drawing you in. He wants you there. Now, now how, so Casey, how do you know? Well, there's evidence in the text. After Andrew and John spend probably the night sitting around the campfire, late into the night talking with Jesus, right in the middle of nowhere, he's able to go the next day and find his brother, and say, we have found the Messiah. Man, that is loaded with theological freight. One one evening with Jesus, and he's able to make that claim. This is incredible to me. When When we spend time with Jesus, we will have a greater understanding of who he is, yes, but that just feeds our curiosity to want to draw other people into that. It should. Curiosity is an interesting thing. Wanting to know the answer to a question. Wanting to unravel a mystery. There's a woman who's a reporter for the Ontario Canada Welland Tribune paper. Her name's Marianne uh, Firth. And she writes this, As a reporter, I pride myself on being able to get to the bottom of things. I like a good mystery, but I like it even more when I can solve it before anyone else does. For once, though, I was glad somebody kept the secret. Her curiosity was piqued, when mysterious pink hearts began appearing around her city, just posted up, on, like it was just a pink heart. No explanation, nothing, just a heart. And then shortly after that, signs began popping up on billboards. And, and all it had on the sign was another pink heart and the name of a local park and a date and a time. That's it. She's a reporter. She smells a story. 
And so she shows up at that park on that day at that time with her camera. I'm going to figure out what's going on. And she sees in the middle of the park, there's a man in a very nice suit. He looks really sharp, but he has a box on his head. Islets cut out in the box, like darkened. He can see out, but you can't see in at all. And as people walk up to this man, he's standing there with a giant sheaf of red roses, huge bouquet of flowers. And as people walk up, he's handing every one of them a flower. Every single one. And she walks up with her camera and she's got her hands on it, about to raise it to take a picture. But before she can get the camera up, he hands her a flower. So she puts the camera down. And as she's doing that, he hands her the whole bouquet and drops down on one knee takes the box off it's her boyfriend he reaches around and pulls out a ring will you marry me she said yes she went on to say all of this All of this was done by a man that I had loved for the past eight years. The man I'd built a life with. This was all for me. How could I say no? Guys, just a reminder, Valentine's Day is Wednesday. (laughs) See, if Jesus expresses curiosity toward us, what do we do? Respond to it. That's what you do. He eagerly desires a relationship with you. Listen, it's not unspiritual to tell Jesus what you want, but don't be surprised when his way of answering that looks different than what you expect. And the reason for that is that he's going to use that to invite you into his mission to save the world. He's going to make you part of it. We respond to that curiosity And he uses that to make us part of his mission to save the world. See, that's the second application here. There's a vertical one, but there's a horizontal one too. And the horizontal application is that we need to invite curiosity about Jesus. A crucial part of how Jesus calls and trains and deploys his disciples is to show them how to lean into people's curiosity. That's the example that Andrew sets for us. I want you to think for a second about the titles for Jesus that have already been used just in the first chapter of John. Now, we didn't have time to read all of it today. Again, I would encourage you, block off a couple hours, sit down, read through the whole thing at one sitting. But what, what titles for, John, or for Jesus have already been used in John's gospel? You have the Word, right? That's the very first verse. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos of God. We have the Word, we have the Lamb of God, we have Rabbi, literally my great one, or teacher. We have Messiah, we have Christ. That's just chapter 1. See, when Andrew finds Peter, he leans into this. He uses one of those titles to pique Peter's curiosity about Jesus. And I want you to notice what a priority this was for him. Did you see what the text says? The first thing he did was go find his brother. I'm going to tell you this morning... When we're excited about something, it moves up on our list of priorities, right? When you're really amped about something, it, like, it moves up on the list of priorities. And so I want you to, there's the question I'm, I'm asking you to ask yourself today. Ask yourself this, how excited am I about Jesus and does it show? You excited about Jesus? Wow, guys. You sure? 
Yeah. Does it show? Because when you're pumped about something, it's just going to come out. You can't help it. Andrew's excited about Jesus. He goes, the first thing he does, go tell his brother. He showed, Jesus shows his disciples right off the bat, probably before he even officially called them. That's going to happen later. He uses curiosity to draw other people into him. Right? His curiosity expressed toward them created a radical curiosity about him in their minds. You're like, Casey, I don't even know how to have conversations like that. There's a great resource. There's a book by a guy named Carl Medeiros. He wrote a book called Speaking of Jesus. It's fantastic. It, it, it's provocative in places. You'll read it and you'll be like, eh, I don't know about this guy. But it's really good at kind of training you how to see those conversations and lean into them and elicit curiosity about Jesus. See, there was a ton of messianic expectation in Jesus' time, right? There are a lot of people who thought that John the Baptist was the Messiah. And that's probably why Andrew and John, presumably Peter and James, went down to Judea anyway. Now, let me give you a little context that you may not have heard before. About 150 years before this happened, there was a set of documents that were circulating around Israel, the land of Israel, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, called the, the the biblical um, studies term is pseudepigrapha, means fake writings. And there was a document called the Testament of Joseph, purported to be written by one of the 12 sons of Jacob. It wasn't. It was written about 100 years before Jesus was born, probably by a, a rabbi. But in that document, he uses the title Lamb of God and applies it to a messianic figure. Fast forward 100 years. This, kind of, this document is floating around. People, ah, we, know, we don't think Joseph really wrote it, but it, could have, it was written as if it could have been him. And so you get this connection in people's minds between the Messiah and Lamb of God. Now, was the Testament of Joseph inspired? Absolutely not. Not in the way this is. But did God use it to make people curious about Jesus? Absolutely, yes, he did. So when John... The Baptist says, behold, look, the Lamb of God. Everybody's ears went, whoa. And and it invites curiosity. Who is this guy? Let's go follow him and figure it out. See, they were already primed to be curious about Jesus. And so Andrew leans into that to get his brother to do the same. Like I said, John uses like every word for seeing or sight that existed in the New Testament to talk about this through this passage. And here's the point of all that. They're looking for Jesus. They're trying to see him. And John's point is, yes, and Jesus looks back. He turns around. What do you want? Uh, where are you staying? there ain't nowhere around here you know come see Jesus looks back at them come on come on he invites their curiosity about this John says look at the lamb and we find the lamb looking right back at us Jesus having insight into someone's character you know he gives Peter a nickname isn't a huge theme we'll come back to that in this series let me ask you what does this look like for you I mean, if Jesus could speak a word about your character, your personality, what what would he say? I don't know the answer to that. You may not know the answer to that, but you should think about it. In case you haven't heard, uh, the Super Bowl is today. I found out recently. Um, (laughs) Kidding. Uh, By the way, just to 
get by applause real quick. Who are you rooting for? Are you Niners fans here? Anybody? Okay. All right. All right. Chiefs. Anybody Chiefs fans here? Okay. A little bit louder. Uh, how many of you are rooting for the snacks? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> My people. Um, anybody rooting for the commercials? Right? Anybody here rooting for the commercials? Yeah. I want to see something good. Do you remember last year's Super Bowl? They had these commercials. He gets us. They were commercials for Jesus at the Super Bowl, man. Well, it, <laughs> there are going to be a couple more tonight, I found out. You realize what they're doing? They're trying to make people curious about Jesus. Now, are they perfect? No. Nah. Does the Jesus that they invite people to check out replicate the Jesus of Scripture? Yeah, there are arguments either way. Is it, is it, is it a complete picture of Jesus? No, nah. no, it's not. But it's a commercial for Jesus at the soup. Do you know how much those cost per second? It's a lot. Somebody is saying, I just, I want people to be curious about Jesus. You don't need to have the thing be perfect or complete to spark someone's curiosity about Jesus. You just got to draw them in. Part of being a disciple of Jesus is drawing other people into that. See, when you're having conversations with people, please know that the one question that will almost always elicit a response is something similar to what I ask on Facebook. You could simply say, if you could ask God for anything and know for sure that he was listening, what would you request? You have their attention now. You start a conversation with that. You ask that question and then you listen very carefully. And if the person answers honestly, you will gain a powerful insight into their story and into the way God has architected their soul. Maybe not enough to give them a nickname, like Jesus did with Peter, but enough that the Holy Spirit can guide you into that discussion. But before you ever ask that question, you should pray. You, before you ask this, you need to seek God's help in this. And here's the prayer. Can I give you this prayer? Lord, use me to make, fill in their name, more curious about you. If there's somebody in your family that you've been praying for, if there's somebody at work or school that you're praying for, and you're like, I want them to have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't know how to launch into that, start here. Every day, by name. Pray for them. Lord, use me to make them more curious about you. John wants his readers to be just as curious about Jesus as he was in those early days in Judean wilderness. How curious about Jesus are you? How excited about Jesus are you? See, a major part of following his call to be disciples is, is being a lot of both. <laughs> a lot curious, a lot excited. Did you hear me? Jesus rewards the curiosity of his disciples with his presence so they can help him save the world. Think about these titles, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lamb. Jesus' mission is to save the world. Then he invites his disciples to be part of it. I can get excited about that. How about you? 
See, Jesus is still inviting curious people to draw near to him. He's still asking, what do you want? He's still saying, come and see. In other words, let's get to know each other, and then you can decide if you want to help me save the world. Now, did Andrew and John understand all that that day in the wilderness? No. No. They hadn't, they, later, yes, but not that day. All they knew is John pointed to him, they got curious, and the more they hung out with him, the more they're like, yeah, this is the guy. What about you? How will you respond to this curious invitation? Maybe you need to appropriate for yourself the sacrifice of the lamb to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, to have him wash away your sin. You've got an opportunity to do that right now. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing together. And as we sing, if you've never, never acknowledged Jesus as Savior and Lord, not been baptized, not received his spirit to wash away your sin and put you in a right relationship with God, you have a chance to do that now. Maybe there's somebody in your life that, <laughs> that you're like, man, I just wish they were more curious about Jesus. And you just want to pray for them. We'd love to pray with you but for that person by name. Um, we'll be down front. And you can grab someone next to you too. That just that works just as good. Maybe today, you're more curious about Jesus. Maybe not ready to make a decision, but like, yeah, I, I really would like to have a conversation about that. We'll have one of our leaders in the next step room. I invite you to head there just through the, under the yellow awning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and, and we're going to sing together and you respond as God leads you today.